on the book Alam al-Sunnah al-Mansura li'atiqad al-Ta'ifa al-Najiya al-Mansura li'shaykh al-Allama Hafiz ibn Ahmed al-Hakami rahimahullah in the previous lecture Samuel, if you can just let anybody know not here for the class that will train in the previous lecture after the introductory matters and the questions related to ibadah, worship and the abd and what is the abd and matters related to this, we talked about the conditions of al-ibadah. What are the conditions of al-ibadah in question number 8? And we said that the conditions of ibadah or the shaykh rahimahullah said that the conditions of ibadah are three. One of them actually it is a condition that is necessary for the ibadah to exist. Shart fi wujudiha. Yani ibadah will not take place. It will not happen. It will not exist unless this condition is present and that is Sidq al-Azimah. Yani that a person is, is truthful and sincere in their determination to do something sincerely for the sake of Allah. The other two conditions are the conditions that are normally mentioned for ibadah and those are the conditions for acceptance. Yani the shurut for the qubul or the acceptance of ibadah and we said that they are two al-ikhlas, ikhlas al-niyyah and muwafiqat al-shari'ah yani that one does the act sincerely for the sake of Allah and in accordance or in agreement with the sharia or the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then we discussed each of these conditions in question 9, 10 and 11 what is actually sidq al-azimah and what is ikhlas and niyyah and what is being in agreement or in accordance with the law or the revelation that was revealed that everyone must follow in order to worship Allah after that we mentioned a few other questions how many are the levels of Islam and we said that there are three Al-Islam, Al-Iman and Al-Ihsan and then he discussed what is the meaning of Islam and what is the proofs that Islam when it is used in the general unrestricted sense it covers all of the deen and it covers the actions as well as beliefs and so on and also what is the proof that Islam sometimes in the restricted sense it means the five pillars that are known as Arkan al-Islam al-Khamsa that is the testimony of La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah and Salat and Zakat and Siyam and Hajj then we mention a few questions that are related to our topic this evening that is what is the status of this, these two testimonies a shahadatain in the deen of Allah what is its status and the shaykh said that its status is that no one can enter the deen of Allah except by these two testimonies that is it is essential for anyone to enter Islam that they bear witness to the oneness of Allah that he is unique and alone and no one deserves worship besides him and to the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu then he mentioned the evidence for this shahada of la ilaha illallah and he mentioned the meaning of the shahada of la ilaha illallah all of these we have discussed previously <coughs> the meaning of la ilaha illallah it is important just as a reminder because of the uh, necessity of understanding properly this statement that is on the tongues of every muslim however that is misunderstood by many and the Shaykh has given a good definition of La ilaha illallah, the Shahada of La ilaha illallah. He said that it is the negation 
of any type or any right of worship for everything other than Allah and confirming that right of worship for Allah alone. That he has no partner in the worship that is due to him just as he has no partner in his dominion or his sovereignty over the heavens and the earth. This is what we talked about last week and this evening, ta'ala, we would like to continue with question number 19 which is related to the previous discussion of the shahada of la ilaha illallah and then that which is derived from it. In question number 19, the Shaykh Rahimahullah, Hafiz al-Hakami, he said, what are the conditions of the shahada of la ilaha illallah? يعني ما هي شروط شهادة لا أن لا إله إلا الله التي لا تنفع قائلها إلا باجتماعها فيه يعني what are the conditions for this testimony of لا إله إلا الله those conditions which will not be of any benefit to the one who says this statement of لا إله إلا الله unless all of those conditions are met what are those conditions every one of them is essential Unless all of them are fulfilled, then there is no benefit for the one who says on his tongue the shahada of la ilaha illallah. He said, what are those conditions? Every one of them being essential, all of them together being necessary in order for the pronouncement of this statement to be of benefit to the one who says it. In the answer he said, it's conditions, it's shuroot, there are seven. The conditions of la ilaha illallah, there are seven. The first of them, he said, is al-ilm bima'naha nafyan wa isbatan. Yani the first condition, it is knowledge. The knowledge of the meaning of the statement of la ilaha illallah. Negation and affirmation. Yani what it negates and what it affirms. The statement la ilaha illallah contains two parts. Part of it is negation and part of it is affirmation. The negation is la ilaha. That there is nothing that deserves to be worshipped. Negating worship for everything. And the affirmation is the exception. The exception to that negation is illallah, except Allah. Allah is the only one that deserves or has the right to be worshipped. So understanding or knowing the meaning of this statement, what it negates and what it affirms. And this knowledge, it is that which negates ignorance. Knowledge is that which removes and negates ignorance. The second of those conditions, he said, uh, it is istayqan al-qalb biha. Yani that the heart has certainty about the statement of la ilaha illallah. Most of the scholars here, they said the second condition is al-yaqeen. Yani meaning that the heart, it should be certain and not have any doubt about this statement or this confession, the testimony of la ilaha illallah. And this uh, certainty al-yaqeen, it negates doubt, al-shak. And if a person is certain, it means they have no doubt whatsoever about that matter. The third condition of la ilaha illallah, as he has mentioned them in this order, is al-inqiyad laha zahiran wa batinan. That a person complies with whatever this statement requires, openly and inwardly. Yani outwardly, the physical actions, as well as inwardly, that which is not seen, the actions of the heart. That the person complies, that they willingly surrender, that they surrender to the meaning and what is required by the statement of La ilaha illallah. The fourth of those conditions is Al-Qubul, acceptance, which negates rejection. Acceptance, accepting 
the statement of La ilaha illallah, all of its meanings and what it entails, so that nothing of the matters which are inseparable from it are rejected, and nothing of those things which are the necessities that are necessitated by the statement of La ilaha illallah are, are rejected. I mean, we should not reject anything from the lawazim of La ilaha illallah, those things which are inseparable from that statement. You cannot separate them. You cannot have one of them without the other. Everything that is part of it and that is necessitated by it, it is also required that we accept it and we do not reject any of it. The fifth of them, it is Al-Ikhlas. Al-Ikhlas, which negates shirk, which nullifies shirk. Al-Ikhlas, it is normally translated as sincerity or purity. However, the meaning of Ikhlas here, it is that which is the opposite of shirk. Al-Ikhlas, it means that the person does whatever they do and says whatever they say and believe whatever they believe purely for the sake of Allah alone. Yani making something khalifan lillah means that you're doing it purely for Allah alone. Sincerely doing it for the sake of Allah alone. And yani having sincerity in one's intention. The sixth of those conditions is a sidq Truthfulness, which is the negation of nifaq. Truthfulness, which negates hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And here the Shaykh, he has given some additional clarification. He said, As-sidq min samim al-qalb. Yani truthfulness that is from the depths of the heart. Not truthfulness that is just on the tongue. He said, that truthfulness, as-sidq, that is from the depths of the heart. La bil-lisani faqat. Not that which is just pronounced on the tongue, but the truthfulness, the sirtiyah, it is that the person speaks that which is true, and that statement, it is believed in their heart, truthfully, in the depths of their heart. Yani, the proof of their sirt, it is not in the words that they say, because the hypocrites, they said the words of truth, of la ilaha illallah. They said the true words, the words they were speaking were true. But it wasn't in their heart. They didn't believe in it. Therefore the sidq here, it is not just speaking the truth. But it is having that truth in one's heart. That the heart is in agreement with that which is on the tongue. And the seventh condition, he said, is al-muhabba. Loving the testimony of la ilaha illallah. And loving the people of la ilaha illallah. And he said this, uh, and along with this he said, والموالات والمعادات لأجلها يعني loving, for the, loving the testimony of لا إله إلا الله and loving the people who comply with this testimony of لا إله إلا الله and making allegiance and enmity for the sake of this statement of لا إله إلا الله يعني whoever we align ourselves with that we love and we cooperate and help it is because of their agreement with the statement of La ilaha illallah. And whoever we oppose and reject and we hate and we have enmity for them, it is because of their rejection of the statement of La ilaha illallah. And this mahabba, it is that which negates hatred. Yani loving the statement of La ilaha illallah as opposed to those who hate it. So the conditions that he has mentioned here, there are seven. The first of them is al-ilm, knowledge. The second of them is al-yaqeen, certainty. The third of them is al-inqiyad, compliance or surrender or submission. The fourth of them is al-qubul, acceptance. The fifth of them is al-ikhlas, 
sincerity in everything that we do purely for the sake of Allah alone. The sixth of them is a sibq truthfulness which is from the heart. And the seventh of them is al-mahabba, the love for the statement of la ilaha illallah and all that it entails and those who comply with it and hatred for those who oppose it and who reject it. <coughs> These conditions, the shaykh, he, because of the importance of them, as we can see, that these are conditions without which a person's statement of La ilaha illallah will not benefit them unless these conditions are fulfilled. Therefore, knowing these conditions and understanding them, uh, it is essential. For that reason, the Shaykh has mentioned here the proofs for each one of these conditions. And Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah, has even written a book a small essay concerning this matter which he has entitled Adillatu Shuroot La ilaha illallah The evidences for the conditions of La ilaha illallah and other scholars also have written on the same topic mentioning the evidences some of them in more or less detail and those conditions all of them are confirmed by innumerable evidences from the Quran and authentic Sunnah here the Shaykh has mentioned the evidences for them in brief Question number 20 he begins with the evidences for these seven conditions of La ilaha illallah. The first of them, he said, or the first question here, he said, question number 20, what is the proof or the evidence for the condition of knowledge? That knowledge is a condition for the acceptance of La ilaha illallah. What is the proof for this condition of knowledge from Al-Kitab wa Sunnah, from the Quran, the Book of Allah, and from the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? So here he mentions one ayah from the Qur'an and one hadith from the Prophet While in fact the evidences both from the Qur'an as well as the Sunnah are many. The first what, of what he mentions is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from Surah Al-Zukhruf chapter 43 verse 86. The saying of Allah وَلَيَمْلِكُ the Shaykh has mentioned the end of this ayat only, which is the point that he wants to uh, make reference to. However, the, the whole of the ayat makes clear the meaning of it. That is, that those who are called upon, those who the pagan disbelievers call upon, other than Allah, besides Allah, they have no control of the shafa'ah, intercession. Not only they don't have any power in the heavens and the earth, and they don't have any ownership of anything in the heavens and the earth, and they are not needed by Allah to help in anything of what He controls in the heavens and the earth, they can't even intercede with Him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا يَمْلِكُ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِهِ الشَّفَاعِ Those who they are calling on, instead of Allah, they have no control over the shafa'ah. إِلَّا مَنْ شَحِدَ بِالْحَقِّ وَهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ Except those who testify to the truth. And here the shaykh says, مَنْ شَحِدَ بِالْحَقِّ It means the one who testifies to La ilaha illallah. Except the one who testifies to this statement of La ilaha illallah, وَهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ While they know, as the Shaykh says here, yani they testify to the statement while knowing, he said, while knowing in their hearts the meaning of what they are pronouncing on their tongues. Yani except those who testify to the statement of La ilaha illallah with the condition that they know in their hearts what they are saying on their tongue. Otherwise, they might say, La ilaha illallah, not knowing what is this meaning. 
So it is not acceptable. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, except those who testify, knowing the meaning of what they are testifying to. That the knowledge and understanding of what they are saying, it is in the heart. That they believe in it and they know what is its meaning. The second evidence he gave from the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is the saying of the Prophet ﷺ in which he said, "Man mata wa huwa ya'lam an la ilaha illallah dakhal al-jannah." That whoever dies, wa huwa ya'lam, whoever dies while he is in the condition of knowing, he dies in the condition of knowing. He knows that there is nothing which deserves to be worshipped except Allah. Such a person will enter the jannah. Whoever dies knowing La ilaha illallah, knowing the meaning of La ilaha illallah, he will enter the Jannah. And some of the scholars said, in some of the books of Tafsir, in some of the books of Hadith discussing the issue of knowing the meaning of La ilaha illallah, that every person who dies knowing this meaning, uh, it is not sufficient just to know its meaning, but as the Shaykh said before, he said that these seven conditions, they only benefit the person who says them when all of them are fulfilled. Therefore, knowing the meaning of La ilaha illallah, it in and of itself is not sufficient, just knowing its meaning. But it is one of the conditions that has to be accompanied by the other conditions of certainty and truthfulness and love and so on. So here the Shaykh said that this is a proof also for the condition of knowledge, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, that whoever dies knowing La ilaha illallah will enter the Jannah. And as some of the other scholars said, this is after they are forgiven for their sins or after they are punished for the sins that they have committed in this world from which they didn't repent. Meaning that they were not instantly into the Jannah, but if somebody has died on Tawheed, dying on Tawheed, and they have committed some sins from which they didn't repent in this world, then either they will enter the Jannah, but either they will be punished for their sins before entering the Jannah, or Allah may forgive them, and Allah forgives whomever He wills. So the entering of the Jannah, it is after the forgiveness of one's sins, or the punishment for one's sins, uh, and then يعني, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will admit that person, it is guaranteed that Allah will admit that person to the Jannah. Question number 21, what is the evidence for the condition of al-yaqeen, certainty, from the al-kitab wa sunnah, from the Qur'an and sunnah? What is the, the deal, what is the proof, or what is the evidence that al-yaqeen, certainty, is also a condition for the acceptability of the statement of la ilaha illallah? The evidence that the shaykh has given here, it's first from the Qur'an and then from the Sunnah. From the Qur'an he has mentioned the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from Surah Al-Hujurat, chapter 49, verse 15. Until the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, And he said that, Verily the believers, and these only are the believers, It is hafal, it is limited to these people. Certainly these are the believers and only these are the believers. Those who believe in Allah and His Messenger. And then they have no doubt. Yani they believe and then they have no doubt about that which they have believed in. So here the Shaykh said, this is the proof of the condition that a person must have yaqeen, certainty, and not have any doubt about the shahada of la ilaha illallah. He said, these are those who are the sadiqun, the truthful. Then he mentioned the saying of the Prophet ﷺ reported in the Sahih of Muslim. And he has mentioned two hadith 
The first of them is the saying of the Prophet Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. I bear witness that there is nothing that deserves to be worshipped except Allah wa anni Rasulullah and that I am the messenger of Allah. The Prophet of Allah وسلم, he said, I bear witness that there is nothing which deserves to be worshipped except Allah and that I am the messenger of Allah. لا يلقى الله بهما عبد غير شاكن فيهما إلا دخل الجنة. That no person, no slave, no abd, no person uh, will meet Allah, meaning on Yawm Qiyamah. No person will meet Allah bihima with these two testimonies of La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. No person will enter Allah with these two testimonies. غير shakin, Without having any doubt. Yani no person who, who, who meets Allah making these statements, believing in them, and not having any doubt. There is no such person illa dakhla jannah except that he would definitely into the paradise. And this hadith is a clear proof for al-yaqeen or certainty because the Prophet ﷺ has made it a condition that the person should be ghayru shakin. They should be the one who has no doubt, the one who is certain. In one of the narrations of this hadith, as it is in the Muslim of Imam Ahmed, the words that he used here, فَتُحْجَبُوا عَنْهُ الْجَنَّةِ yani No person will meet Allah on Yom Qiyamah with these two statements without having any doubt about them and then he will be prevented from the Jannah. That will not happen. That anybody who meets Allah with certainty about these two testimonies, it's not possible that he will be prevented from the Jannah. And here some of the scholars have made some clarification of this issue also, which is important to know that Al-Hajjab being prevented from the Jannah, the person who meets Allah with these two statements with certainty, that he will not be prevented from the Jannah means permanent that he will not be prevented from, and he will not permanently be prevented from the Jannah. It doesn't mean that he will not be punished before entering the Jannah. He will definitely enter the Jannah, but he will not be prevented from it means that he will not be in the hell forever. But he might be punished. However, he will not be prevented like the Kafir and the Mushrik. They will be prevented from the Jannah permanently. They will never enter the Jannah. But the one who dies with these two statements with certainty, he will not be permanently prevented from the Jannah. It doesn't mean though that he will not be punished. And this is very important to keep in mind that the believers who die on Tawheed, the great benefit of that is that they will never be permanently left in the hellfire if they are punished justly according to their deeds. And also the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned the statement, uh, or it is, it is reported from the Prophet ﷺ that he said to Abu Hurairah, and this hadith is also reported in the Sahih of Muslim. Men that whoever you meet behind this wall, when you go on the other side of this wall, whoever you meet, يشهد أن لا إله إلا الله مستيقنا بها قلبه فبشره بالجنة. Whoever you meet, he said to Abu Hurairah, on the other side of this wall, anyone who you meet who, test, who testifies that there is nothing which deserves to be worshipped except Allah, مُسْتَيْقِنًا بِهَا قَلْبُهُ While his heart is certain, it has yaqeen, certainty about the statement, then he said, بَشِّرْهُ بِالْجَنَّةِ Then give him the good news of entering into the Jannah. And this hadith is also reported in Sahih of Muslim. In question number 22, the Shaykh, rahimahullah, said, what is the evidence for the condition of al-inqiyad? Yani that a person willingly submits any self-surrender, that they surrender themselves to comply with all of what Allah requires from the believers, al-inqiyad. He said, what is the condition that al-inqiyad, compliance and submission and surrender, that it is a condition for the acceptance of la ilaha illallah from the book and the sunnah. He mentioned also here from the Qur'an and from the sunnah, from the Qur'an he mentioned 
the saying of Allah from Surah Al-Muqman, chapter 31, verse 22, وَمَنْ يُسْلِمْ وَجْهَهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَهُوَ مُحْسِنْ That whoever, and this is the condition, that whoever surrenders his face to Allah, submits and surrenders his whole self in compliance to what Allah requires of us, وَهُوَ مُحْسِنْ And he is a doer of good. Yani the person who does good and who does it well, ihsan. Yani perfection in whatever they do, whoever surrenders himself and he is a muhsin, فَقَدْ اِسْتَمْسَقَ بِالْعُرْوَةِ الْوُثْقَى Then indeed he has taken hold, he has grasped that uh, handle or that bond which will, uh, which is firm and which will never break. Yani he has taken hold of that which yani he will never be separated from. Then the shaykh mentioned the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam which has been mentioned in many of the books of hadith the statement لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يكون حواه تبعا لما جئت به that no one of you will believe yani no one of you will really be a believer a true believer with perfect iman until حتى يكون حواه until his desires until his desires yani what he desires to do that is contrary to what Allah wants from him until he makes his desires to be in accordance with what I have come with. Yani with what the Prophet ﷺ has brought, the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the Sharia. Yani no one will have perfect iman, true iman, until that person causes his desires to be in accordance with that which the Prophet ﷺ has brought. There is difference of opinion concerning this hadith amongst the scholars from amongst those who declare it to be Sahih al-Imam and Nawawi in his book 40 hadith and likewise Al-Hafiz bin Hajj al-Asqalani in the discussion of this hadith and Fath al-Bari he, he seemed to be in agreement with Al-Imam and Nawawi and those who and the other scholars who considered it to be Da'if from the earlier scholars Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali and Shaykh al-Albani the contemporary scholars in any case the summary of a lengthy discussion that the scholars have written concerning this hadith is that the chain of narration, the isnad of this hadith, it is da'if. In, indeed it is. However, the meaning of the hadith is true. The meaning of the hadith is correct. And the scholars have mentioned a number of proofs which confirm the meaning of this hadith. And from the clearest of those proofs is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, in Surah Al-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 65, فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى يُحَكِّمُوكَ فِيمَا شَجْرَ بَيْنَهُمْ ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَرَجًا مِمَّا قَضَيْتْ وَيُسَلِّمُ تَسْلِيمًا And in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, No one of you has perfect iman until his desires are in accordance with that which I have come with. And in this ayah from the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala confirms this meaning very, very clearly. He said, فَلَا وَرَبِّكْ Indeed, no, by your Lord. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making an oath, swearing by himself. فَلَا وَرَبِّكْ by your Lord, la yu'minuna. They will not believe, as the Prophet, as it is ascribed to the Prophet ﷺ in this hadith. He said, "No, you will not be believers. Hatta yuhakimoka fi ma'ashajarabeenu until they make you as the judge in all of the disputes that is between them. Yani until they make, until they accept that which the Prophet ﷺ his judgment, what he judged. When there is a dispute between them, until they accept that which the ruling that he makes. Thumma la yajru fi anfusihum harajan minma qadi." And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made a further condition that after the Prophet sallallahu has made a ruling in the matter, they should not find any difficulty. 
any resistance to that which he has ruled and that which he has judged and that they should surrender and submit themselves fully and this ayat is a clear proof that you will not believe until you make the Prophet ﷺ the judge in all of your disputes and that you have no resistance or any or difference with that which the Prophet ﷺ have ruled and that you surrender and submit yourself to his ruling completely uh, after this the Shaykh mentioned the condition of Qubul. What is the evidence or the proof for the condition of Qubul, acceptance from the Qur'an and Sunnah? That Al-Qubul, acceptance of, the, of La ilaha illallah, it is a condition. It is a condition that must be met in order for one to benefit from that testimony that is on the tongue. And again, the Shaykh has mentioned here evidence from the Qur'an and from the Sunnah from the Qur'an. He mentioned the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, <laughs> in Surah Al-Safat chapter 37 verses 22 through 36 and the Shaykh has just mentioned the portion of the ayat that is relevant to the proof that he wants to make and this statement is, in, in, is a statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in reference to those who have rejected, who have not accepted the statement of La ilaha illallah those who have rejected it, he said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said concerning these people أُحْشُرُوا الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا وَأَزْوَاجَهُمْ وَمَا كَانُوا يَعْبُدُونَ That assemble or gather together those who ظَلَمُوا and, and most of the places in the Qur'an where ظُلْم is mentioned it means shirk and if you look through the books of Tafsir you will see most of the places where ظُلْم is mentioned it means shirk gather together those who have ظَلَمُوا yani those who have made shirk yani the greatest ظُلْم is shirk that a person uh, put something in a place where it doesn't belong that is that they offer worship to other than the one who is entitled to it that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he said assemble them and gather them together وَأَزْوَاجَهُمْ and their companions those who are acting like them who are doing the same and that which they were worshipping gather them together until the end of this section the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala إِنَّهُمْ كَانُوا إِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ يَسْتَقْبِرُونَ that verily Whenever it was said to them, La ilaha illallah, they used to become proud and arrogant. They used to reject it out of pride and arrogance. Not because they didn't know it was true, but because of pride and arrogance. They used to become proud and arrogant. وَيَقُولُونَ إِنَّنَا لَتَارِكُوا أَإِنَّنَا لَتَارِكُوا آلِهَتِنَا لِشَعْرٍ مَجْنُونٍ لَتَارِكُوا يعني they said, shall we leave our gods that we are worshipping for a shair majnoon yani for a mad poet a crazy person who is just a poet here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it clear that these people the disbelievers the reason why they didn't accept the truth is not because they didn't know it was true but it was because of pride therefore a person shouldn't be proud or arrogant but should accept the truth when it comes to them otherwise they will be in the condition of those who Allah mentioned in this ayah that they will be gathered together they and their companions and that which they worship for the punishment of Allah then the shaykh mentions the hadith of the Prophet which has been discussed in great detail in the books of hadith especially in Fath al-Bari the explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari Ibn Hajj al-Asqalani has given a lengthy discussion concerning this hadith uh, in any case the point of the hadith 
it is that it is a proof of acceptance, that it is required that when the truth comes to someone, they must accept it. The Prophet said in this hadith, which is متفقٌ عليه recorded by Al-Bukhari Muslim, مثل ما بعثني الله به من الهدى والعلم and the example of the parable of the likeness of that which Allah has missioned me with of al-huda wal-ilm, the guidance and the knowledge that Allah has sent me with to the people. He said the example of it or the parable of it كمثل الغيث الكثير أصاب عرضا It is like al-ghayth, yani the rain that comes in abundance, al-ghayth al-kathir and it has fallen down on earth, on the land فكان منها نقيط قبلت الماء فأنبتت الكلا والعشبة so the types of land are different types. He said one type of that land is the kind that is good land. And it is pure, it is fertile land. Which accepted the water. It receives the rain readily. And then it brings forth herbage and grass. It brings forth crops. It brings forth something that will benefit the people on the earth. It accepts the water and then it produces. وَكَانَ مِنْهَا أَجَابٍ أَمْسَكَتَ الْمَاءَ فَنَفِيَ اللَّهُ بِهِ النَّاسِ And there was another type of land, it was يعني, barren land, it was a hard barren land. However, it أَمْسَكَتَ الْمَاءَ It held the water, it didn't reject the water, it kept the water, it held it in its place. So that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala benefited the, peop- benefited the people by that water. That, that land was hard, barren, it didn't produce crops, but it held the water. So that Allah caused the people to benefit from it, So the people drank from it themselves and they watered their animals and they also watered their crops. Then there is a third type of land, another type of land, he said, that one, it is barren land which does not hold the water. It doesn't produce anything, and it doesn't produce any crops or any grass or herbage. And in this type of land, it doesn't produce anything, nor does it hold the water for the people to benefit. The Prophet ﷺ said in the end of this hadith, فَذَلِكَ مَثَلُ مَنْ فَقُهَا فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ وَنَفَعَهُ مَا بَعَثَنِي اللَّهِ بِهِ فَعَلِمَ وَعَلَّمَا وَمَثَلُ مَنْ لَمْ يَرْفَعْ بِذَلِكَ رَأْسًا وَلَمْ يَقْبَلْ خُذَ اللَّهِ الَّذِي أُرْسِلْتُ بِهِ Then the Prophet ﷺ said that the example of these different types of earth, he said that one of them, it is the example of the one who understands the deen of Allah. The one who understands the deen of Allah, so he benefits from that which Allah has sent me with, the guidance and the knowledge, al-huda wal-ilm. That person understands the deen and he benefits from that which Allah has sent me with. He learned and he taught. فَعَلِمَ وَعَلَّمَا He learned and he taught. First he learned, and then when he had something, he taught it to others. And the Prophet ﷺ said, خَيْرُكُمْ مَنْ تَعَلَّمَ الْقُرْآنَ وَعَلَّمَاهُ The best of you is the one who learns the Qur'an and then teaches it. Yani first, learning is, is necessary. And then after learning, teaching. So nobody should teach until they learn first. And nobody should learn and then don't teach. Yani both of them are necessary. It is necessary to learn and then it is also necessary to share that which one has learned with others. 
as he has mentioned in this parable, he said the parable of the land that accepts the water and produces crops is that it takes in something that it benefits from and then it also benefits others. He said this is the example of the one who understands the deen of Allah. So he benefits from that which Allah has sent me with. Then he learns and he teaches. And the other example is the one who doesn't give any attention at all whatsoever to that which Allah has sent me with. This example is the third type of land. The first two types of land, the scholars that are included in this first example that the Prophet ﷺ has given, that is both of them offer some benefit. One of them benefits himself and also benefits others, and the other type of land benefits the people. Allah causes it to be a benefit to the people and to the crops and to the cattle. They all benefit from it. And here he has given these two, he has classified them under the one who benefits, and who Allah causes some benefit to come through that which he has sent the Prophet ﷺ with. And the third type of land, the one that doesn't hold the water, nor does it produce any crop. He said this is like the one who doesn't give any attention whatsoever to that which he has sent with. وَلَمْ يَقْبَلْ هُدَ اللَّهِ الَّذِي أُرْسَلْتُ بِهِ And this is the point of the hadith. وَلَمْ يَقْبَلْ هُدَ اللَّهِ That one doesn't accept the guidance of Allah which he has sent me with. And this is the result of the one who doesn't fulfill the condition of kubur, acceptance of the truth when it has come to them, that one will not benefit himself, nor will he benefit others. This is the one who is of the losers. The next question, number 24, the shaykh said, what is the evidence for the condition of al-ikhlas, sincerity? What is the evidence that this is the condition for the acceptance of la ilaha illallah from the book and the sunnah? And the shaykh mentioned a number of ayats and also from the hadith. The first of that which he mentioned is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from Surah Al-Zumr, chapter 39, verse 3, Ala lillahi al-deen al-khalif. Isn't it so that the deen al-khalif, the pure deen, yani worshipping and obeying and submission to Allah alone, that it is for Allah. Ala lillahi. Isn't it purely for Allah alone, the deen al-khalif? Yani the deen that means obedience and submission and worship being purely for Allah alone. Isn't it so? And also the saying of Allah in the same chapter, Chapter 39, but the earlier verse 2, فَعْبُدِ اللَّهَ مُخْلِثًا لَهُ الدِّينَ Therefore worship Allah, مُخْلِثًا لَهُ الدِّينَ Yani making the deen purely for Allah alone. Worship Allah with, with ikhlas. Worship Allah, not just worshiping Allah, but worshiping Allah with ikhlas, meaning that making that worship for Allah alone, and not worshipping Allah, and then also worshipping something along with Allah, as the pagan disbelievers did. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned in a hadith that's reported by Al-Bukhari, that which confirms this meaning also, the condition of ikhlas, he said, أَسْعَدُ بِشَفَاعَةِ مَنْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهِ مِنْ قَلْبِهِ That the most fortunate of the people who receive my shafa'ah, my intercession, meaning on the day of judgment, would be the one who said, La ilaha illallah, khalisan min qalbihi. Yani who said, La ilaha illallah, purely for the sake of Allah, from his heart, min qalbihi. Khalisan min qalbihi. And also the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which he said, Inna Allah ta'ala harrama ala nar min qala la ilaha illallah, yabtaghi bi dharika wajhallah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it forbidden, harrama ala nar. He has made the fire, he has made it prohibited or forbidden for the fire to touch the one who says La ilaha illallah, yabtaghi bi dhalika wajhallah. While that person says it seeking the face of Allah. Yani they are saying it's only 
in order to seek the face of Allah, yani doing it purely for the sake of Allah alone, not for any other reason. Then the fire, it is prohibited from touching such a person. The one who says, La ilaha illallah, seeking only the face of Allah. And here again, we can say the same thing that doing it with ikhlas sincerely for the sake of Allah is only one of the conditions and all the other conditions also have to be met. And also we should say here, just as a reminder, it is important to keep in mind that every one of these conditions and the statements that have been made to confirm them <coughs> are not to be taken in the absolute sense that the person is guaranteed the Jannah and that they will never enter the fire meaning it doesn't mean that that the, that the one who is guaranteed the Jannah that he will not be punished for his sins that he has committed in this world while worshipping Allah with Tawheed but still he has committed some sin some act of disobedience from which he didn't repent then on Yawm Qiyamah he will be Tahta Mashiyatillah he will be subject to the will of Allah. Allah will punish him if he wills justly or Allah will forgive him if he wills and Allah forgives whomever he wills. Anything other than shirk. Yani anything less than shirk. Question number 25. What is the dalil, the proof or the evidence uh, for a sibq from the book and the sunnah? Truthfulness. What is the proof for it? And the shaykh mentions here the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala <coughs> from Surah Al-Anqabut chapter 29 verses 1 through 3. ألف لامين أحسب الناس أن يتركوا أن يقولوا آمنا وهم آمنا وهم لا يقتنون يعني do the people imagine do they think that they will be left alone أن يتركوا that they will be left alone by merely saying that we believe that it is sufficient just to say we believe do you think that that is sufficient and then you will not be tested ولقد فتن الذين من قبلهم فلا يعلم إن الله الذين صدقوا then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it is not so, but indeed we have tested those before them, the earlier people who believed in the prophets, or who followed the prophets, or who claimed to believe, we have tested those who were before them. Then Allah, He will bring out, He will make known. And the meaning here, it doesn't mean that Allah will come to know, because Allah knows everything. Allah knows everything. It means that Allah will bring out, He will make manifest, He will make known those who sadaqu, those who are truthful, and He truthful in their statement of La ilaha illallah, and He will make known those who are kathibin, those who are lying, who are saying something on their tongue, which is a true statement, but it is not in their heart. Their heart is not in agreement with this. Al-Hafiz al-Kathir rahimahullah concerning this statement that Allah will make known or He will bring out the truth of the matter of those who are truthful. He said, He will make known those who are truthful in their claim of Iman. Those who are truthful when they claim Iman. He will make them known from those who are kajib, who are lying uh, in their statement and in their claim. And he said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala يَعْلَمُ مَا كَانَ وَمَا يَكُونَ وَمَا لَمْ يَكُونَ لَوْ كَانَ كَيْفَ يَكُونَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He knows what was, مَا كَانَ Whatever exists, happened before وَمَا يَكُونَ And what will be in the future, He knows all of that. And He also knows مَا لَمْ يَكُونَ That which did not happen. لَوْ كَانَ If it had happened, كَيْفَ يَكُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His knowledge is perfect, complete, all-encompassing. 
He knows everything that happened and everything that will happen and he knows that which didn't happen. If it had happened, he knows how it would have been. This is the completeness of the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Hawad al-Kathir said, and this is something that is agreed upon amongst A'immat al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah, amongst the Imams of the people of Sunnah and Jama'ah. Then he said, <coughs> And this is, as it was said by Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu and others, in the similar things as this, إِلَّا لِنَعْلَمَ يعني except that we know, he said, إِلَّا لِنَرَى يعني the meaning of knowledge here is so that it will be seen. يعني this will not happen except that it will be seen, except to make known يعني those who will follow the Prophet or those who believe in the hereafter, as it is mentioned in some of the ayahs in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah, Chapter 2, verse 143, and in Surah Al-Saba'ah, chapter 34, verse 21, Ibn Abbas explained these ayats that the knowledge here it means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will make it known, He will see, He will bring out and manifest those who would follow the Prophet from those who would turn away, and He would make known those who believe in the hereafter from those who had doubt about it. Uh, here, the Shaykh mentioned the, from the Sunnah the, say, the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that is reported in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. مَا مِنْ أَحَدٍ يَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صِدْقًا مِنْ قَلْبِهِ إِلَّا حَرَّمَهُ اللَّهِ عَلَى النَّارِ that there is no one at all who testifies that there is nothing which deserves to be worshipped except Allah and that Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah صِدْقًا مِنْ قَلْبِهِ yani truthfully from his heart there is nobody who says this truthfully from his heart except that Allah will make the fire forbidden for him yani Allah will make it, make it prohibited for him to be in the fire and again here it means yani, that Allah will prohibit that person from being in the fire permanently not that uh, they may not be punished if they have committed some sins from which they didn't repent. If Allah wills to punish them, that is His justice. And if He wills to forgive them, then He forgives whomever He wills for whatever they have done that is less than shirk. Also, He mentioned here the statement of the Prophet ﷺ to the Bedouin who had taught the matters of Islam, the legislations in Islam, and He said to that man, or that man said, Wallahi la azidu alayha wa la minha. Yani when the Prophet ﷺ told him what was legislated for the person in Islam of prayers and fasting and so on, he said, By Allah, I will not do more than that and I will not do less than that. I will not do more than that, I will just do what is required and I will not do less than that. I will fulfill everything that is required. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Aflaha in sadaqah. But that person, he was successful. Yani he is guaranteed to be successful. He will enter the Jannah in sadaqah, if he is truthful. Yani if he has said this truthfully with sidq. And this is also a proof of the requirement or the condition of a sidq. That the person is truthful. Not just in what they say the words, but that it is in their heart. That they mean it. That the person acts in accordance with that which they say. Okay, the last condition is the condition of mahabba. He said, what is the evidence for al-mahabba from the book and the sunnah? And he mentioned as proof for this, 
the requirement of love, loving the statement of La ilaha illallah, the saying of Allah, Subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Ma'idah chapter 5 verse 54 Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu may yartadda minkum an deenihi fasawfa ya'ti allahu bi qawmin yuhibbuhum wa yuhibbuna O you who believe whoever turns back from amongst you from his deen whoever apostates and abandons Islam after entering it fasawfa ya'ti allahu bi qawmin yuhibbuhum wa yuhibbuna then indeed Allah will soon come with a people يُحِبُّهُمْ Allah will love them وَيُحِبُّونَهُ and they will love him and this is also a proof and in this ayat this is a proof of the necessity of loving loving Allah loving the shahada of la ilaha illallah loving the message of Allah and all that the deen encompasses then he mentioned from the sunnah the hadith report of al-Bukhari and Muslim that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said ثَلَاثٌ مَنْ كُنَّ فِي وَجَدَ بِهِنَّ حَلَاوَةِ الْإِيمَانِ That there are three things, three characteristics. Whoever has found them, whoever is characterized by them, then that person will have tasted, they will have found the sweetness of al-Iman, the sweetness of al-Iman, the core, the essence, they will have had the real Iman. And he said there are three things, أَنْ يَكُونَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَحَبُّ إِلَيْهِ مِنَّا سِوَاهُمَا And the first of them, it is the love of Allah and His Messenger. That, that person, who love Allah and His Messenger. Allah and His Messenger will be more beloved to that person than anyone besides the two of them. Anyone besides Allah and His Messenger. They will love Allah and His Messenger more than everything else. وَأَن الْمَرْعَ لَا يُحِبُّهُ إِلَّا لِلَّهِ And that he will love a person. And he will not love him except for Allah. And the reason why he loves that person, it is for the sake of Allah. So he loves Allah and he loves the Messenger of Allah and he loves for the sake of Allah. Whoever he loves and whatever he loves, he loves that only for the sake of Allah. وَأَنْ يَقْرَهَا أَنْ يَعُودَ فِي الْكُفْرِ بَعْدَ إِذَا انقذه اللَّهُ مِنْهُ كَمَا يَقْرَهُ أَنْ يَقْذِفَ فِي النَّارِ And the third of them, it is that not only we love Allah and love for the sake of Allah, but we also hate for the sake of Allah. And he said the third condition of the person who tastes the sweetness of Iman is that they hate to return to kufr after Allah has saved them from it. Just as he would hate to be thrown into the hellfire. A person would hate to return to kufr and the actions of kufr and the people of kufr after Allah has saved them from it just as they would hate to be thrown into the hellfire. And the last question that we will take is question number 27 and it is related to this last point of the third condition of those or the third characteristic of those who taste the sweetness of Iman and that is loving for the sake of Allah and hating for the sake of Allah. Making alliance and allegiance for the sake of Allah and separation and enmity for the sake of Allah. What is the proof for al-muwalat lillahi wal-mu'adat li ajlihi? What is the proof that allegiance, that alliance, that it is for the sake of Allah, that it should be for the sake of Allah and that al-mu'adat enmity and hatred and separation disassociation from anyone or anything it is li also for the sake of Allah yani that whoever we align ourselves with and whoever we separate and disassociate ourselves from whoever we love and whoever we hate it should all be for the sake of Allah and, in, and there are so many proofs about this this is a topic in and of itself al-wala wal-bara allegiance and disassociation it is as some of the scholars said it is an asl min deen it is a fundamental of the fundamentals of the deen that many of the people today are unaware of. Al-wala wal-bara. 
That in our deen there is a fundamental principle that we love for the sake of Allah and we hate for the sake of Allah. We love who Allah loves and we hate who Allah hates. And the proofs for this are innumerable in the Quran and in the Sunnah and the Shaykh has mentioned a few of them quickly. We will mention what he has said here and whoever wants to follow this topic further then they can see this topic discussed in detail in our discussion of the Sharh. Uh, of the things which nullify a person's Islam, the Waqid Islam, the whole topic has been presented on this topic. And there's a book that has been translated also, Al-Wala al-Bara by Shaykh Sali al-Fawzan, Allah Yahfadhu, which is also an extensive presentation dealing, dealing with this topic. The first evidence that he mentioned is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from Surah Al-Ma'idah chapter 5 verses 51 to 55, Ya la بَعْضُهُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ بَعْضُ وَمَنْ يَتَوَلَّهُمْ مِنْكُمْ فَإِنَّهُ مِنْهُمْ All you who believe, do not take the Jews and the Christians as awliya, as friends or protectors or helpers. Yani those who you make relations with of support and trusting one another, don't take them as your awliya. That they are awliya, some of them of others. Meaning the Christians and the Jews, as some of the scholars of Tafsir said, that the Christians, they are the helpers of other Christians, and the Jews are helpers of other Jews. And some of them said it means the Christians are the helpers of the Jews, and the Jews are the helpers of the Christians. In any case, they are part of one another. But whoever takes them as their helpers and supporters, then he is one of them. Until the saying of Allah at the end of this section where he said, That indeed your wali, the one who you take as a wali, as a protector and a helper and a, a, a friend, it is Allah and his messenger and those who believe. It is based on iman. Uh, to the end of these ayats. Also he mentioned the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Tawbah chapter 9 verses 23 and 24 That all who believe do not take your fathers nor your brothers يعني your family, your closest relatives don't take your fathers nor your brothers as awliya if they love kufra over iman if they prefer kufra over iman it is based on iman and to the end of these ayats, and then he mentioned the saying of Allah in Surah Al-Mujadila, chapter 58, verse 22, That you will not find, لا تجدو, you will not find a people who believe in Allah in the last day, having friendship towards those who oppose, who make war against Allah and His Messenger. You will not find those who oppose Allah and His Messenger, you will not find the true believers, the people of Iman, who believe in Allah in the last day, having friendship with them, and having such relations. To the end of these ayats, and finally he mentioned the statements of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Mumtahina, chapter 60, verses 1 through 13. And the Shaykh just mentioned the beginning of it, the saying of Allah, Ya amanu, la وَعَدُوَّكُمْ أَوْلِيَاءُ Oh you who believe, yani the people of Iman, this is all based on Iman. He said, don't take my enemy and your enemy as awliya, as friends or helpers or protectors. And these ayats and similar ayats in the Qur'an are innumerable. The Shaykh has just mentioned a few of them just to prove the point that al-muwalat and muadat that allegiance and alliance and separation and disassociation, yani that love, uh, and hatred, it is, it should be based on Iman and Islam, loving for the sake of Allah and hating for the sake of Allah. The questions that follow, due to any yani, shortness of time, we'll save any, for the next time we meet, 
And those questions are related to the shahada of Muhammad Rasulullah, what is its evidence and what is its meaning, and what are its conditions. And then the shaykh mentions in brief the evidences for the pillars, the other pillars of Islam. And what he has discussed until now is the first pillar of Islam. And here the shaykh has begun to mention the hadith of Jibreel and its points. And Islam and Iman and Ihsan, the first of them is Islam. And he has, he has concentrated on the first pillar of Islam, the shahada of la ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammad Rasulullah, because it is the essence. And then he mentions briefly the evidences for salat and zakat and saum and hajj and those who deny it for whatever reason before taking the second portion of the hadith of Jibril that is Al-Iman. So in the next uh, session bi-idhnillahi ta'ala we'd like to take these following questions and enter into the next part of the hadith of Jibril alayhi salam that is what is Iman. So here we will start. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika shadun la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa tubu ilayk. If there are any questions or any comments or corrections We'll take them now. <coughs> no. One at a time. The Ikhila. Sorry, what's the next one? Capacitance? Sorry. Uh, first question, uh, can we discuss the difference concerning the matter of hating those who reject or oppose the statement of La ilaha illallah? Um, I'm not aware that there's any difference concerning the rejection of those who oppose the statement of La ilaha illallah. And whoever opposes Islam, I don't know that there's any difference of what is the position of the people of Iman concerning them. Unless the questioner is referring to uh, something else, and that is not a matter of difference of opinion. That a person, for example, might have a natural love for their child or for their parents or something like this. And that is different than loving for the sake of Allah and hating for the sake of Allah. The natural love that one has for one parent, it is not nullified, it is not negated. As long as one's parents does not oppose you, as long as that person does not uh, oppose you or oppose the deen or fight against Islam, then there is no harm in, that, in maintaining the relations that are natural relations uh, that Islam confirms. The Prophet ﷺ, he allowed Aisha radiallahu anha uh, when her mother migrated or came to Medina after the migration of the Muslims and her mother was not yet a Muslim and she came and Aisha radiallahu anha when she came to her house when her mother came to her she didn't allow her to sit on the bed of the Prophet ﷺ until she consulted the Prophet ﷺ and he allowed her and told her to be kind to her mother even though she was yet a mushrik this the then we'll stop for the then and then and take the remaining questions <coughs> window, window, window.
Sisters ask the second question. Uh, is it true that only one's past sins are forgiven when a person enters Islam? Uh, or is it required that a person make sincere repentance from the sins that they have committed? If I understand the question properly, um, it is true that a person's past sins are forgiven when they enter Islam. Islam, the Prophet said, he said that Islam removes everything that is before it. If a person enters into Islam sincerely, then whatever they have done before all of it, it is forgiven. Entering into Islam, it is equal to or greater than repentance. So there is no need for repentance. That in itself is, is above and beyond repentance. That a person abandons kufr and enters into Islam. Uh, however, after Islam, of course, after Islam, the scholars differed about the sins that a person commits. Does it require repentance? Uh, and many, the majority of the scholars said that minor sins might be forgiven through various means of doing good deeds or whatever has been mentioned in the sunnah, while major sins of necessity require repentance with its conditions. However, a minority opinion, which is very, very strong opinion, is that even major sins uh, could be forgiven without repentance according to some of the hadith that the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned like the hadith and there are numerable hadith like the hadith in which he said that the person who performs the hajj correctly and perfectly that they will return in the condition as they were when their mother gave birth to them and that condition is the condition of a person who has no sins major sins or minor sins and hadith like this, some of the scholars have argued, prove that certainly there are some acts which remove all sins, major as well as minor, without repentance. And a lengthy discussion concerning this has been given by Sheikh Muhammad Nasruddin Al-Albani. Uh, if anybody would like to refer to it, inshallah, we can give you the source for it. If the brothers have any questions or comments, we'll take them, and then uh, sisters have some remaining questions. Uh, the brother asked the question, are there different levels of al-yaqeen? No doubt, there are different levels of yaqeen. Uh, some of the scholars said that al-yaqeen, it is al-ilm al-tam. That yaqeen, it is perfect knowledge. And therefore, the perfection of one's knowledge that enables a person to remove all doubt, it will be different from one to another. The yaqeen of the Prophet ﷺ is certainly, certainly not like the yaqeen of those who are less than him, from amongst Sahaba, for example. And the yaqeen of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu is certainly far and above and superior to the yaqeen of the other companions of the Prophet sallallahu 
and the yaqeen of the sahaba is superior to the people of today and so on so there are definitely levels of yaqeen there's not uh, one uh, level of the perfection of one's knowledge that enables a person to remove doubt uh, it is in accordance with one's knowledge and in accordance with one's uh, submission and compliance and obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wallahu alam How does one know if they have sufficient level of yaqeen? Well, Allahu alam, yani how do you know? But it is the person who believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala feels certainty about what they believe in. Uh, a believer, when you say that you believe in Allah, then you feel that you are certain about it and that you have no doubt about it. The person who has doubt, they feel that they have doubt. And the one who has no doubt is certain and it is known. I mean, uh, I don't know if there's a physical proof of it, but it is that which you feel in your heart when you say that Muhammad ﷺ is the messenger of Allah. Then when you, when you make that statement, you feel certainty about it. You feel that there's no doubt. You don't have any question. You are not unsure about any aspect of it. Then this is the yaqeen. The level of it, of course, will not be the same for every person. But how do you know it is? Uh, you feel it. Allahu alam. If the sisters have uh, remaining questions, originally they said there were four questions. If they want to give us one of them. question uh, a lady a woman she accepted the truth of Islam and made her shahada and shortly thereafter she passed away so would that lady be judged according to all of these conditions of the statement of la ilaha illallah will she be judged by that which uh, she hadn't been taught and that she didn't know because she only just became a Muslim of course every person according to their ability Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala judges every person according to their ability and no person will be called to account beyond and above that which they have the ability to do. The person who just became a Muslim couldn't possibly know uh, the conditions and fully understand the conditions of La ilaha illallah like the person who has been a Muslim all their life or the person who has studied and learned and examined these issues. Therefore, every person will be judged according to their condition and circumstance. There are people, it has been recorded in the authentic seerah, but there are people who have embraced Islam uh, and have been killed immediately thereafter and the Prophet ﷺ said that that person will be in the Jannah so it is a proof that every person will be judged according to that which they know they are accountable for that which they know if that person didn't yet uh, learn how to make Salat and they have entered Islam and fought in Jihad for example and were killed on the battlefield the day they entered Islam well they will not be called to account for not having performed Salat or not having fasted in Ramadan and so on that which they had no knowledge of and no ability to perform, but every person will be called to account according to any of their condition. Wallahu a'lam. Any other statement from the brothers? Any comments or any statement? No. Uh, the brother asked the question concerning the hadith 
uh, which the author has mentioned concerning uh, complying or being in, in accordance that one's desires, you will not be a believer until your desires are in accordance with that which the Prophet ﷺ has come with. He said, is there authentic hadith of this meaning? Uh, I don't recall at this moment, but in any case, the closest evidence for this hadith or the meaning of this hadith is that which we have mentioned. And that is the clear statement in the Quran itself. Uh, otherwise, uh, there are probably some hadith yani of similar meaning. And not the same wording, but any which might confirm this point. But the ayat, it is any clear that you will not believe until you comply yani with that which the Prophet ﷺ came. Until you make him as the judge in all of your disputes. And until you accept without any resistance that which he has ruled. Until you surrender to what that which he has brought with complete surrender. It is clear that this is the meaning of the hadith. That you comply or that you make yourself to be in agreement with that which the Prophet ﷺ has brought. Okay, we'll take this last question and stop here. Now, quickly. Ed, mm, okay, okay. No, 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 that's it. We're going to stop here. Sound. Uh, question asked, uh, question asked um, do we consider the Shiites and other deviant groups as people of Tawheed? Well, in any case, the, the Shia. Um, there are various groups, there are a number of groups, they are not one group and they have various beliefs. However, in general, what we say that the people who hold those beliefs that are known, that are well known, uh, the belief that the Qur'an has not been preserved and that the followers of the Prophet ﷺ have apostated and so on, such beliefs, these are beliefs of kufr. So how can they be considered the people of Tawheed? Many of the groups of the Shia are not even in Islam, let alone the people of Tawheed. And as we said, yani the groups of the Shia are different. Some of them are worse than others and some are less. And there are some groups of the Shia whose belief is not very far from the people of Sunnah. However, the point is that those people who have deviated in these matters of the Aqidah and in yani the fundamentals of the Deen and what they have, what they have said concerning uh, the Qur'an and concerning the Sahaba and so on, then uh, obviously these people are not considered from the people of Tawheed. Uh, even we don't consider some of these groups as being from the people of Islam Wallahu and uh, again yani in this point it is worth noting that we are not saying that anybody should declare the kufr of a particular individual who might uh, who, not, who has not been presented the clear evidences and proofs concerning Islam and what is the correct beliefs in Islam but we are saying in general that in general people who believe these things and who believe that the Qur'an is not preserved, that it is not complete, then this is a statement of kufr because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, guaranteed that he would preserve the Qur'an. So whoever rejects that has rejected something from the Qur'an and whoever rejects something from the Qur'an then they have rejected Islam. However, this is a general ruling and the specific ruling concerning any individual is after the proofs have been presented to that person and if they yani, insist on their false beliefs, then the scholars of Islam have made rulings concerning such. And if they repent from it and correct themselves and retract their statements, then that is what is hoped for. Wallahu alam. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Astaghfiruka wa tuwilik.